All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball community. Pumped up to be here. Episode 201. This episode is loaded. I have a surprise for you. Well, I announced it a few weeks ago that I had a really great interview lined up. Well, it came to fruition a week ahead of schedule. So we'll dive into that in just a second. By the way, this interview was awesome. And when I say awesome, I am specifically evaluating it based off of how much I think it will help youth baseball coaches, all of us that are out there trying to be better youth baseball coaches. I love the trend that I see when I look at the statistics for this podcast. Every couple of weeks, I'll check them out. And for four years, it's continued to grow. And whether you are one of my original listeners from over 200 episodes ago or a new listener, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you with us. Today, I'm going to share something very common and even encouraged that I believe we as youth baseball coaches should completely avoid with almost all of our hitters. We'll dive into that. I'm also going to hit on something with regard to a youth coach that I saw firsthand this weekend. And as mentioned before, part one of a three-part interview. The interview was over two hours long. I always try to trim off any excess But there was so much good content from this two-hour interview that I'm going to break it up over three weeks. And it works out great because it's three different topics in today's episode, or I should say this week's episode. The topic will be building team chemistry and ideas for building team chemistry. We have Coach Adam Sarancic joining us a little later in the episode. Coach Sarancic has well over a dozen specific tips that you'll learn today that he'll share with all of us in this episode. Before we get to that interview, I want to touch on a couple things here that I think can be very beneficial that I believe can help us be much better baseball coaches with our hitters. So something I hear a lot of, and there's not a lot of controversy, but there's definitely multiple schools of thought on this, and that is situational hitting. It's very common. It's been very common since I started playing baseball almost 40 years ago, the message of hitting the ball to certain places or doing a certain thing when hitting based off of the situation. I'm not a fan of this at the youth level. I'm not a fan of it all the way through the high school level. I believe that for every example a coach can show me of how a player did an excellent job of situational hitting, moving the runner up or hitting the ball to the part of the field that facilitated their teammates moving up or their teammate moving up, For every example of that being done well, my guess is there are quite a few more examples of hitters that sacrificed a lot of hits and a lot of productivity and made a ton of outs, more outs than they would have if they just went up there with a solid hitting approach, a consistent hitting plan of driving the ball, hitting hard line drives, swinging at the right pitches, not chasing pitchers' pitches early, and not chasing pitches outside of the strike zone with two strikes or those extended out past the fringes of the strike zone. So I'm going on record right now for all of you youth baseball coaches. I would not teach situational hitting. I think it nets fewer runs if that message is promoted. Now, there's going to be some disagreement with this. I get it, but I've thought about this for years and years and years. And until players have complete mastery or a elite mastery of bat the ball, bat control skills, pitch recognition, in my opinion, there's no reason to bring this up at all. So situational hitting. You'll hear coaches say things that 
sound like this. Hey, we need to put the ball in play with the runner on third to get them home. We need to put the ball in play. Now that's probably one that I would agree with more. These are all on the spectrum of agreement, disagreement, of course, like everything in life, right? It's not all black and white. There's varying degrees of how productive some of these strategies are. Here's another one. Some coaches will say, hit the ball to the right side to move the runner over from second to third with less than two outs. Or they'll tell their hitters, if the defense is shifting to one side or playing you to one side, try to hit the baseball the other way or where the defense isn't positioned. Regardless of where the pitch is located, regardless of the speed of the pitch. Now, those three examples are three of probably a half dozen common examples of situational hitting or the message from coaches to have our hitters be situational hitters. I think they should just be good hitters. Hit line drives, drag bunt when the defense gives it to them. You know I love me a drag bunt base hit. If they don't give it to you or it's two strikes, you're trying to drive the ball with two strikes. You don't want to chase a bunch of bad pitches, but you also have to hit those pitches on the fringe, the fringes of the strike zone. I think hitters need to be solid with their less than two strike approach and solid with their two strike approach and drag bunt when needed or when it's available. I've never seen a youth hitter master the less than two strike approach and the two strike approach master. I've seen good approaches from youth hitters in both of those situations, but I've never seen it mastered. So why are we going to an even more advanced level of mastery if we haven't mastered the steps before situational hitting? I've never seen a youth hitter, and most of you have never seen, probably all of you have never seen a youth hitter master the less than two-strike approach and the two-strike approach, both. What do I mean by that? That means they put a good swing on hitters' pitches every time there's less than two strikes, and they have mastery of the strike zone with two strikes, and they know when to swing at pitches on the fringe and when to take them and how not to strike out looking without going into this super protective defensive mode. I'm not convinced teaching and coaching up situational hitting produces more runs in the long run or in the short run. So for example, like I said earlier, coaches will say, hey, put the ball in play with the runner on third. Let's get them home. Or then they'll say, hit the ball to the right side to move the runner over from second to third with less than two outs. And then turn around a few hitters later and say, hey, if their defense is playing you the pool side, hit the ball the other way. They're not even factoring in pitch location, speed of the pitch, hitter ability, the hitter's timing being all synced up. Oh yeah. And then they tell them to have a great hitting stance, a great load, be on time, swing at the right pitches. Be sure not to chase. Hey, don't strike out. Don't pop up. Don't try to hit home runs. Hold your bat like this. Stride like that. Get your bat angle like this. Oh yeah, and make sure you don't miss any signs, especially that bunt sign when the coach gives it to you. You want great hitters? Simplify it and then simplify it some more. We've outlined it here. It's on the 8020 Baseball website. I've outlined the plan A, plan two approach. Essentially, plan A is less than two strikes. Plan two is with two strikes. You got to just stick with it. Don't chase the shiny objects. Don't chase what they're saying on MLB.com. Don't chase what the big league announcers are saying or congratulating hitters on. Many of those hitters, not all of them, have mastered the less than two strike and two strike approach. Mookie Betts leads the National League in run production right now. I don't have enough fingers to count how many times I've seen Mookie Betts strike out looking on pitches right down the middle this year. Y'all know I'm a huge Mookie Betts fan. Huge. Anybody who's listened to this knows that. I would need another person's hands to count all the times I've seen him strike out on pitches right down the middle this year. He still leads the league in run production, and he could be doing better. He could be doing better. The evidence shows that he hasn't even mastered the two-strike approach. He's close. He's as close as pretty much anybody on the planet outside of maybe a few other great hitters, but he's got work to do. So why are we going to add another layer of complexity? So I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that we do not coach our youth hitters on situational hitting, telling them to hit the ball to a 
certain place or to do something with the pitch, depending on the situation, the outs, the count, the pitcher, the defense. But Coach Bo, what, what if there's a time and a place? You don't have time as youth coaches. Youth hitters don't have time to learn all these skills. Being a great hitter is more important than having this super advanced detail of situational hitting. Most of the time, I don't even think situational hitting works out in terms of net run production. I can't tell you how many times, or I should say for every time I've seen a hitter move a guy over or do something correctly in what we deem is a hitting situation that might warrant some strategy or we think warrants some strategy or ball manipulation, hit manipulation. For every time I've seen that done correctly, I've seen hitters get out of their element, try to do things with pitches they shouldn't have tried to do those things with, whether it was the speed of the pitch or the location of the pitch or the height of the pitch or their timing wasn't quite there, but they tried to salvage it into some situational hitting result. And it turns into an ugly situation, double plays, strikeouts, weak hits, weak pop-ups, lazy fly balls. Y'all know I love me some old school baseball, big time. But this is some old school baseball that needs to be left in the past, situational hitting. Now you might say, Coach Bro, what about a bunt? Yeah, like a squeeze bunt, the winning run on third, that's a little different. Drag bunt, defense is playing back, that's bunting. That's not hitting. When you try to alter a swing to manipulate a pitch that you don't actually know where it's going or how hard it's going to be, it's not like the pitcher's telling you that. So to have a preset idea of what we want to do with a pitch and we haven't even seen the pitch, and to think we can hit a round ball with a round bat with just the right timing at just the right angle with just enough speed or height to produce more runs by doing that. Work the hitting approach. Don't get caught up in the situational hitting. Situational bunting, a little different, but not situational hitting. All right. I was at my kids' soccer practice on Friday evening and Coach T, Coach T is the coach. And he's been the soccer coach for three years now. Now you go out to Coach T's practice. He's in his 20s, mid-20s. And as I was telling my old man, as we were sitting there watching practice on Friday, I said, you know, Coach T's got some good drills. They're not great. They're good. Sometimes they're just average, but nobody can match how much fun he brings to the field, how much he elevates the fun factor, how much the kids love showing up and how many smiles are on the kids' faces. Mind you, these are six-year-olds. It's definitely a little different than working with 11 or 12 U's or 13 U, 14-year-olds for those youth coaches. So there's definitely some differences there. In other words, the fun factor should be more of a focus early, but it should always be a priority, but more of a priority when they're six and seven and five. And as they get older, it should shift a little bit more towards skill development, strategy, situational awareness, team play, team cohesiveness as a unit, etc. But I'll tell you what, Coach T, a soccer coach out here in Boise with the Boise School of Soccer, he's got it dialed in. And they're very lucky to have him. His goal every practice is obvious. He wants the kids to have smiles on their face, run around, play hard, and have a lot of fun and want to keep coming back each year. So Coach D's soccer practice, not the most efficient or fast, but always fun. And that keeps the kids wanting to come back each year. And that's why those teams and those practices are filled from sideline to sideline with players, with kids that want to be there. So I thought I'd share that with all of you. And now let's dive into the interview with Coach Adam Sarancic. We got this done a week ahead of time, like three interviews in a row we've got recorded. We've had recorded ahead of time. I love that. I just don't like to promise something and not deliver. I always want to over deliver or at a minimum deliver what I said. And so I shared out, I had this interview coming up. And it came a week early. It was going to be episode 202. Here it is. We got it for 201. With that said, part two of it will be on episode 202 and part three will be on episode 203. Today will be episode 201, the focus 
how to build team chemistry, team chemistry building ideas, not just on the field, but off the field and everything in between. Coach Adam Saransic, he's a lifelong baseball coach. He's the author of three baseball coaching books. So he reached out and asked me to be on the podcast. And I'm always hesitant when somebody reaches out unsolicited to me and wants to be on the podcast. I don't want to waste any of your time. I'm very protective of all of your time, of my audience, all of you and your time. So when Coach Sarancic reached out, I thought, mm, okay, well, let me check into this. What are they selling? What's the angle here? And I'll tell you what, after two hours and 12 minutes of recording time, Coach Sarancic delivered and then some, a massive amount of strategies and actionable tips. He's a lifelong baseball coach. He's the author of three baseball coaching books. We'll dive into those in just a second, or I'll share out the titles of those in just a second. This is a top-notch interview. Like I said, it's three parts. Each part has a different focus for us as coaches, and we're going to dive in. We'll start off with his bio, quick bio, give you a little background on him, and keep in mind, this is an interview where we have a topic. We've discussed topics leading up to the interview. Adam and I did, and then I let him run with it and really just open the floodgates of tips and strategies. So I let him talk for an extended period, and he delivers big time. So I'm excited to bring you this interview, Coach Sarancic. So like I said, without further ado, let's go to the interview. I am here with Adam Sarancic, and I'm excited for this episode. Adam and I have been talking for a couple of weeks now, prepping for this, excited. And Adam is the owner of Elevate Sports Academy and mentors student athletes in physical conditioning, nutrition, career and college counseling, and sports skills. He has spent most of his adult life mentoring youth, 8 to 22-year-olds in baseball, softball, soccer, and even basketball. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree. He was an Aztec at San Diego State University. He got his JD from the University of San Diego, beautiful campus, and his Master of Arts in Teaching from Western Oregon University. Furthermore, he is the author of three Amazon Top 100 bestsellers, Coaching Champions for Life. Life, the process of mentoring the person, athlete, and player, and it has a companion book with that. The second book, Takeaway Quotes from Coaching Champions for Life. And lastly, a ground ball to shortstop, how and why coaches see their game differently than anyone else. And Book Authority rates Coaching Champions for Life as the number 14 all-time best baseball coaching book and the number eight all-time best baseball coaching. Adam also frequently writes articles for the ABCA Inside Pitch. By the way, I was reading that yesterday and I was also listening to an ABCA video Video today, a coaching video from the 2020 conference, and I watch those frequently. A couple times a week, I'll catch one of those. So the ABCA, that's big time. And so you've written articles for the Inside Pitch magazine, which I highly recommend coaches get, Collegiate Baseball News, and on the Sports Engine, Coaches Insider, Coaches.com, and they can be found on the hot stove page of his website, Coaching Champions. Adam's also nationally certified impact trainer for the Positive Coaching Alliance. I love the name of that. Adam lives with his wife of 47 years, Karen, in Portland, Oregon. And they have two daughters, Corinne and Lauren, and granddaughters, Amaya and Layla. Grandsons, CJ, Jaleel, and Jalen. Wow. All right. How are you doing today, Adam? We are doing great. Good here in Portland, Oregon. How about you in Boise? How are things there? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. My mom was actually just over that way, visiting my brother. Had a good time over there. My nephew plays over in, in Estacada. It's a little, you know, as you know, it's outside, about 
30 minutes, a little more rural, but playing some baseball, getting excited. Actually, football now just finished up baseball. But uh, hey, I know we got some really great topics and you're an expert in these areas. I'm fired up. We're going to hit on team chemistry building, team chemistry building ideas. We'll hit on that first. And then we're going to get into the role of a parent in developing a youth athlete. So for you coaches out there, this is going to help give some insight too into working with parents. So specifically, this will be more for parents in developing a young athlete, but always good for those coaches that are listening. It's always good to hear a good perspective when it comes to working with parents as not only that, but as a parent. And we are also going to discuss the keys to teaching skill development in youth baseball. So you ready, Adam? You ready to get this kicked off? Let's roll. We're good. Awesome. I guess I should say ready for the first pitch. Not a kickoff, wrong sport, but uh, we'll start with team chemistry building ideas. Now we talked earlier, I know you have a list of say 10 right now that we will put on the show summary, the show notes, and it will be on the website. So it's going to be a lot of good content. Just want to let the listeners know anything that you're like, hey, what, what was that? Well, have it all ready to to check out to read later. What would you like to start with this, Adam? Well, let's uh, each of the topics. What I'm going to do, Coach Bo, is kind of lay the foundation of why these are important. You know, kind of give you the foundation to springboard into the specifics. So, when it comes to team culture, let's just start with this. Here's the misnomer that a lot of coaches and parents and players have. Coaches really don't establish team culture. Okay, what coaches do is they are teachers, they're role models, and they're mentors. They establish the bar of excellence. Okay. This is who we are and why we do what we do. All right. If they do those things very well, you'll have a very good team. If you want a great team, great teams have great team culture. It's got to come from the players. These things that we're going to talk about, these team chemistry building ideas, is how players come together to sacrifice the me for the we, as you and I say as coaches, right? Players have to learn. We need to sacrifice the me for the we. All right. So how do you get these players, even some that have played together for a while, maybe a year or two or more, how do you get them to come together, understand each other's personalities, understand how to support one another, and really be that type tight synergistic core that can impose their will on another team, okay? And as you and I were talking earlier, this is something that a lot of high school and college coaches forget. We need to have these things as a part of our program so players continue to have fun, continue to connect as people, and we get stronger because of it. So yes, I got 10 general things that I've used over the years I really believe in. So let's just go through them. And I know you're, a big part of your audience is youth baseball. One of my favorite things in youth baseball is what I call great play. Friday. Okay. Could be any day of the week. We just for years have done it on Fridays. If that's a if that's a game day, it can be a great day, whatever. But the concept, Coach Bo, is that you take an individual or pairs or a group of three and you pick something out that is a play in the game. Can be a pop-up, can be a slow roller, and they compete to do it not only the best, but the most creative way. All right. Gets them to challenge themselves athletically. It gets them to think creatively. And it's just a ton of fun. So let me give you a couple of examples of something like this and how it works. Let's say one year we did slow rollers and we had three players. One would roll the baseball. Another one would be a third baseman and another one would be a first baseman. The team that won, the third baseman said, give me medium bounces like in kickball, right? So the guy tossing the ball gave him medium bounces. He took his shirt 
and springboarded the ball off his shirt into his bare hand, made a right-footed throw to first base, and the first man caught it in his shoe, okay? And the guys just went nuts, right? Another one, you know, a little bit off color here, but I'm going to go for it. You can edit it. Another one on pop-ups, okay? It was an individual competition. So we went through most of the team. Guys were catching it bare hand. They were catching it behind the back. They were catching it between the legs, you know, trying to make it creative, make it difficult, things like that. The guy that won actually took out his cup and caught the pop-up in his cup. I got an email, one of my college players, though, probably 10 to 12 years after he was on that team. And he said to me, Coach, your practices were so fun. And he recounted that great play Friday where that player took out his cup and caught the pop-up in his cup. And it really is a great way to have him compete, have him be creative, and just have a great time. So that's what great play Friday. Number two is kind of a category of connecting them with the players and letting them kind of do things. We used to call it back in the day, hijinks skits. I'm not sure what they call them now. If you go onto YouTube and put in rain delay antics or rain delay, things like that. There's a famous one is Clemson versus Davidson, rain delay antics, part one and part two. But anything, college baseball, rain delay, they have them dance us. So what you do is you have half the team design kind of a, a skit. I'm sure everyone's seen the one where the players line up as bowling pins and they have one guy rolling on the ground and knocking the players over. There's all different kinds of things that they can do as a team and create little skits as a result of it. So to go on to YouTube, check it out. I just watched Coach Prime do something with his team where the uh, players did coaches impersonations. And so that is hilarious. And absolutely, if you go on YouTube, put in there Coach Prime, Colorado football coach impersonations. But have your players do that. You'll learn about a lot about the way that they the way that they see you and what they think of you. That kind of thing. It's, it's a great, totally fun thing. Another one's really simple and easy that players love that I always try to do. You see all the pro players uh, when they come in after hitting a home run, they have creative handshakes, you know, different ways that they interact with each other. You probably do this too. If you have a different handshake for every one of your players after they hit, you know, make a great play, get an RBI, hit a bomb, whatever. Oh man, that's a great bonding thing with your players. If you can get to that level where you can have a different handshake for every one of them. Do you, do you do stuff like that? I have not done anything like that, but I was actually just typing it down right here. The coach's impersonation, the Great Play Friday. I'm taking notes, so this is awesome. Now, the handshake. Have you been successful with remembering all the handshakes? That's got to be pretty yeah. challenging. If you can remember their name, remember their handshake, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you can do it. You've got to do it. That's it's all there is to it. Because I know everybody maybe will want to do one, but once they see their teammates doing it with you, everybody's going to want one and yeah, you'll do it often enough in practice and kind of like their name when you're first starting out with the team. Uh, you may, you know, mess it up every now and then, but it, that just makes it more fun. It's like, come on, coach, you know, get in the game. Let's get it together here. You got to, you got to do this. And they kind of expect it to When you see them in the hallway at school, if you're, if you're a high school coach, you know, you're in the building as a teacher, you know, you do it then. But yeah, it's it's one of the strongest bonding things you can do with your players is have a handshake for every one of them. It's it's really strong. Uh, number three, wiffle ball game. <laughs> wiffle ball games, you know, it's boy, it's one of the things that we kind of toss by the wayside. But guys just love playing them, and I cannot tell you. I mean, do it bare hand. 
you know, shorten the bases, put the fence, you know, the home run fence shorter, whatever, but just do them. Again, these things don't have to be done every day. Okay. Once a week, just like Great Play Friday is once a week. These things can be done just some of these things that I'm going to recommend once a week uh, with a little game. Second, one of the easiest games that you can use the, the real baseball. I don't know if you grew up playing it. I did. It's called over the line. It's basically take second base, third base as the line, and you can hit off. The, you got two teams, and you're either hitting singles or home runs. Anything that lands on the fly beyond the line uh, and in front of a fielder is a single. Anything that goes over the head of the last outfielder is a home run. You need discs or cones to establish foul lines beyond, you know, off the center field and second base and down the left field line if you don't have a chalk line down there but yeah and so you're you don't have any base runners you're hitting off a tee you're hitting soft toss you're hitting off a machine whatever but you've got say three guys on the line three or four in the outfield and anything that's a ground ball that stops before the line is a foul ball anything on either side of the cones going out the center field the down left field line is a foul ball everything else is just a base hit or a whole run and one of the great things for youth baseball is coaches love to get their teams to hustle on and off the field and to get organized with their gear. So one of the keys to this game is when you're in and you're ready to hit, it's go. If they're not out on defense, if they're still talking about who's playing the line and who's in the outfield, it's too bad. And it's free, free to go, you know. So it really gets your team hustling on and off the field. And the energy around it is fantastic. So there's no delays. It's very fast action, go because there's no pitching and, and it is really easy. And you just, if you have two fouls uh, and you're out, or the other thing that I want to mention in all these things, anytime there's a game, one of the keys is let the players take ownership, okay? Don't get involved. Stay out of it. You'll learn a lot about who your leaders are. You'll learn a lot about who can handle adversity, the you know, guys that are always whining about it's unfair or that's, you know, let them be their own umpires. Let them dictate how the game's going you just make sure your job is one first and foremost to make sure that the game is safe all right you're always in charge of safety making sure that you know guys are paying attention uh yeah you can run in off the field and, and start hitting but let's don't have anybody with their backs again or anything like that but let the players take ownership these games also whether it's over the line or anything else you would think of one of the the things that I learned from college coaches that college coaches do all the time, particularly in their fall ball, is have tournaments. Players love to have a tournament going on and have it be ongoing throughout the whole fall, for example. Have a tournament. Have a tournament and let the players choose captains, let the players choose teams, and whatever it is, don't make it a one-off. Uh, make it go for the entire fall season or throughout the practices during your regular season have some kind of tournament where the players are invested in who's winning, who's getting better, who's got to come from behind, you know, all those kind of things. So any kind of design uh, tournament is really a great idea because they continue to talk about it and they, they kind of smack talk each other about it too, about who's winning. You guys will never get up and all that kind of stuff. But another one is we use a Jugs light flight machine for a lot of our fun games and things like that and home run derbies. And I like to do a progressive home run der derby for youth players, okay? I like to start the fence or whatever the line is that you're going to use as the home run line. I like to start that at a place where everybody on the team can hit a home run. And then we kind of gradually move it back and move it back and move it back. 
And I also don't just make it home run. I always love outfielders to rob the home run too. I mean, I want them to make a great play and take a home run away from somebody as well. But, you know, if you want to use the outfield fence, maybe you start the hitting at the dirt or the grass dirt line behind second base or something. Just want to put distant cones out there. Just progressively move back. But home run derby is great. Whether it's over the line or home run derby or just whatever game you're designing, challenge them by going oppo too. Don't just use second and third base for over the line. Make players hit oppo and do the game oppo as well. So oppo, you can have a lot of fun in your wiffle ball games. Make them hit left-handed and throw with their offhand as well. Just, it's a ton of fun. So that's another way of making it more creative. Wiffle ball, wide play ball is all bare hand stuff, by the way. It's no gloves. Okay. So another way you can challenge your players. One of the, a great communication game is called minefield. This is fantastic. In baseball, one of the things that youth teams really struggle with is communicating pitch to pitch. As the situation changes, runners move up or whatever, they stop talking and... As we know, as you know, experienced youth coaches, they tend to be reactive, not proactive. They're not thinking ahead. What do I do if the ball comes to me? What do I do if the ball doesn't come to me? And how do we communicate? So there's a game called Minefield. You may know it. A lot of coaches know it. Just take discs or take cones, put them like 40, 50 feet apart in a square, okay? And then take discs and randomly put 15 or 20 discs inside the square. You take two players and one is on one side of the square and the other one is on the other side. And if you want to make it complicated, you can have one guy in the top, one guy at the bottom, and then take another team that they're competing with. You put one guy in the left and one guy in the right. You have one guy that's trying to not step on the orange discs as he navigates the minefield and another guy talking him through the minefield. So the guy that's trying to avoid the mines is going to either be blindfolded or be walking backwards. So walking backward, the analogy would be a, a catcher moving a relay man, right two, left three, out two, back two, whatever, and you're directing them. And so if they step on the mine, then they're out and your team wins. So that's a great, great communication game. And you, again, you're starting out with only two teams. You can make multiple fields, minefields with two teams competing on, say, several minefields, and then the winners move on. You can have a loser bracket, et cetera. But that's a great communication game. Young players, they just love it because they're a little, it's tough at first because they're not used to communicating and listening. As we know nowadays, some of our biggest challenges with our youth players is getting them to be good listeners. The other advantage it has to it is guy that's communicating, now you're starting to pick up what his voice sounds like as opposed to, say, the crowd or whatever else. I'm used to my catcher's voice, so when he's moving me as a relay person, I'm used to hearing his voice and only his voice. Okay, so that's a great, great game. Another one is called blanket volleyball. What you're trying to do as much as you can in your games is make the teams work as a team. Make your players work as a team so that they have to work and learn each other's tendencies and they learn how to get somebody to overcome failure and still be in a positive mind state, the mindset about how we're doing and what we're doing. So blanket volleyball is just taking a volleyball or any kind of light ball and you're trying to bounce it from one blanket held by two, three, four players over a net, a volleyball net, or it can just be back and forth. 
back and forth and back and forth until somebody drops it. If you have a net, it's kind of fun to play volleyball with it. But the players having to navigate using the blanket and working as a team to navigate that is a really great team building thing. Then we've got water balloon dodgeball. Got to always have water balloon dodgeball. As long as the throws are below the waist, players love that. And then, you know, we teach sliding in baseball by having them slide with their plates off with socks on cardboard. But hey, anytime the weather's warm enough and you can get out the slip and slide, that's the way to go. Teach sliding with a slip and slide. So those are 10 on-field games or categories. Let me give you five uh, outings that you can do as a team that kind of are just general. Uh, One, inspirational movies. My favorites are When the Game Stands Tall. It's 2014. Uh, the Fifth Quarter, it's 2010, and Soul of the Game, that's 1996. Those are three great movies that you can do on movie night. Highly, highly, highly recommend that on your older teams or your travel teams or whatever, that you have a Sunday dinner night, team get-together night where you do either meals or you know barbecues or movies or something like that. So that's another thing you can do. You can have a team barbecue. Just make sure that the players decide at least part, if not all of the menu, and that they help cook and serve and clean up, right? So they're not just there eating. They're really buying into the whole experience, learning how to cook, learning how to serve one another, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Going to college practices and games. I cannot emphasize that enough. Going to see a really good college team practice is really, really a great way to have your message get across without you know, always being the one to say, this is what you guys need to do. This is the energy you bring. This is what you need to do. If you can go watch a college coach do it or a pro team warm up at a minor league game or whatever, that's a great and a fun outing. And here's one that's often overlooked that, you know, maybe for your older audience, it's, I mean, it's a high school thing, so I won't get into it too much. But you know how football games are always attended not only by fans, but by the cheerleaders, the band, drill team, et cetera, et cetera. In baseball, we kind of get left out of those kind of things, right? They don't come to baseball games. We know why? Because we don't go to any of their events. We never go to a cheerleading competition. We never go to a drill team competition. We don't go watch the band, you know, perform at one of their competitions. If you want them to come to you and support you, then you got to go support them as well, right? So that's something I highly recommend, at least for the older teams. A competitive outing, of course, you got paintball, got to have paintball. Paintball is a great one. In Portland, we have a lot of uh, rivers and stuff. So we love to have our players go out and compete in pairs for kayak races, canoe races. We used to have dragon boats uh, where they would, you know, you could have four or five guys in a boat. Anything where they're having to, you know, compete in something where they're using their bodies and having to work together is a really, really great outing. Another category that I think is really, really, really important at all ages is service. In service without any expectation of a monetary return, okay? Everybody does pancake breakfasts. They sell oranges or cookies or whatever. Yeah, we get that. The player, you know, the program has to make money. But I really think the value in developing the person is to get them to understand, you know, what it is to be charitable. So my favorites are for my older players, probably middle school and up, having games where you're working with children with disabilities, Miracle Leagues, Challenger Leagues. That's probably the most important outing and certainly the most important game that you will have as a team. All right. 
children's hospitals, uh, community work projects, gathering used equipment for teams and organizations in other countries. The ABCA has turned to for youth. My last high school team, we gathered mitts and gloves and uh, bats for an organization in Mexico called GRIP International. Those are always a great thing to do. Next one, volunteering to read at elementary schools. Again, that's for an older thing. Um, hosting a parent's night out is for older. Canned food drives, raise awareness campaigns, clean up a city park or somebody else's field. You know, if you want people to come help clean up and get your field ready for the season, maybe you go help them and help to promote or work at a school event. Those are really, really good ways. Getting kids to understand that it's not about me. My old saying is life involves you, but it's not about you. Okay, so getting them early on to understand what charity and charitable works are all about. And then starting at about middle school, my last one is um, reading and discussing the book, uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water. And a lot of people have read it. A lot of people are recommending it. But any time that you can proactively design into your practice plan some life lessons and getting them to be discussed using quotes, that's why I wrote my book, my takeaway quotes book, or uh, a book like Chop Wood, Cherry Water by uh, Joshua Metcalf. Real short chapters all about the process of, you know, success, how to become successful, how to become excellent, uh, how to become elite. What's the process by which that's uh, done? Really a fun book, easy read, easy to take 10 or 15 minutes out of practice, every practice to talk about. So those are my ideas, my friend. I, those are the ones I've used. Yeah. That was outstanding, Adam. I'll tell you what, if I'm just your typical, which is like our listeners, just your, your typical dad, mostly dads and moms, and you're coaching a youth baseball team and you're just busy. Our listeners, they're great at their day jobs. They're trying to be family members and also other siblings. They're trying to take care of their health. They're trying to get enough sleep. And then you're like, how do I come up with all these ideas? How do I come up with ideas to be a successful coach, to make it enjoyable? Wow. That list right there. Great play Friday. Okay. So I like the inspirational movie. Would you host that or would you ask somebody to host that at their house or would you do that in a backyard? How would you do that? Yeah. So I have a rule that practice is never canceled. It's only moved. So, you know, you can save it for a rainy day or a day where you can't get out and, and do something if you don't have an indoor option or whatever. Or you can just have it as a part of a scheduled, you know, this is a team day, team night, whenever we're getting together. Maybe it's once a week. A lot of times we do it on a Sunday because you don't practice on Sunday. I know there's tournaments on the weekend and things like that. But yeah, you just host it at somebody's house and you take a different a different parent, usually volunteers to host movie night at their house. And you just pop some popcorn and make some nachos or whatever and sit down and watch the movie and discuss it a little bit after it's done and what they got out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great use of time and it's enjoyable. It's entertaining. And the messages, like you said, in the movies, you you mentioned phenomenal movies. The minefield game you talked about, love that, building the communication up amongst players because communicating on a baseball field, right, and, and in life is, is great. And it doesn't just help the listener, but also the speaker and the communication being crystal clear, the slip and slide. One recommendation, I love the slip and slide idea. So coaches, you're like, how do I do all this? How do, how do I take care of all this? How do I coach the team? Or how can the assistants coach the team and then also have a slip and slide ready? Hey, you have to get the parents, the team's parents involved, and you might have to force some of their hands and, and say, hey, this is the expectation for our team. You need to help out. So the assistant coaches, the head coach, the manager shouldn't be setting up the slip and slide, in my opinion. Let's say you're doing it after practice or during practice. It should be taken care of. Or if it's a, a party that's being hosted as part of the barbecue, 
I don't think the coach and the manager, or the manager and the assistant coaches that are the main coaches should have to do that. I think the other parents should step up, even though they're busy, they should step up. I was talking, Adam, I was talking this morning with a dad. I was out at, at a practice yesterday, my neighbor across the street's kids playing. I went out and watched them practice, seven-year-old. And then I happened to run into one of my daughter's classmates, dad's classmate was out there on the team, didn't know that. So anyways, I dropped her off at school this morning and him and I were talking and He's a doctor. He's very busy, but he goes out and helps out. And then I said, hey, I only saw a couple of dads out there, my neighbor and him. And he said, yeah, some, a lot of these parents, they just drop them off like it's a babysitting. I said, mm. I said, you know what? You really got to set the expectation early that they got to get involved. And, and whether it's, hey, this is your week to help out as a coach, or this is your event, or this is your thing. I also have recommended before on the team outings. I love this. And I think for youth baseball, a good template for when to schedule those would be one outing before the season, one outing mid-season, and maybe one outing right before the playoffs. If you don't have playoffs, maybe at the end of the year, or you could always do one at the end. So don't try to bite off more than you can chew. We're going to do something every week. I don't think that's worth it, but maybe start with three, depending on how long your season is. Adam, does that sound, or how do you see it? Yeah, absolutely. Your point about delegation is so important. First of all, Shout out to all the coaches out there that are taking this on. This is tough. Okay. This is, there's so many challenges that go along with it. Sometimes you don't have all the equipment you need. Sometimes you don't have the facilities you need. Sometimes you got parents that are not really with the program and are working as much against you as they are for you. We'll get into that a little bit in the next topic. But thank you to all the coaches out there that are willing to do this. Everybody that's been in sports in their life knows that a good coach is so impactful in their lives, way beyond baseball or whatever the sport is. So thanks to the coaches out there. And thank you, Coach Bo, for the content you're putting out, too. This is really, really important stuff. It's helping the coaches be better coaches. It's helping the players be better players and better people. You know, we share that philosophy, too. So thank you. But this delegation piece, when you're planning your season and what you're going to teach and how you teach it, my philosophy coach is you plan from the end of the season backward, from the end of the week backward, and from the end of the practice backwards. What am I going to accomplish with this group this season? What am I going to accomplish? Where are we at? And what do I want to accomplish this week? And then in this practice, at the end of the practice, when we have our scrimmage or game sim at the end of the practice, you know, how am I going to build to that? So in planning for all those things, one of the things that's key that you mentioned is delegation. You can't do it all. You have to surround yourself with good people that are going to buy into your coaching style and are going to have your same values and are going to teach the right fundamentals. Just logistically, you're right. You got to have parents help out, bringing slip and slides, setting up, tearing down. You know, that's obviously something you want your players to do too, but you need help. You have to make sure you have a ton of help because as we know at the youth level, these kids are trying to get back to their whole life. I mean, there's homework. You got a lot of stuff going on. So you've got to have help to make it efficient. Yeah. Adam, do you want to add anything before we move on? Have your middle schoolers umpire at the lower levels too. You know, anytime they can go down, if I get a parent that is too, let's say too intrusive, you know, whatever I say, you know, anytime you want to step in and umpire one of our games, go right ahead and just they'll get a whole new perspective on that. You and I have a lot in common. I didn't know that uh, I'm from Southern California too. I grew up watching Rod Dato coach at USC. Uh, Augie Garrido, coach at Cal State Fullerton, John Wooden at UCLA in basketball, John Scalinos at Cal Poly Pomoda, you know, learned so much uh, about how to coach 
from these guys. We were really, really lucky to have all those guys around. Uh, oh, on the disabilities, almost every community coach has a challenger league or, or a uh, miracle league. We call it in Portland, Vancouver area. It's miracle league. My brother-in-law, who's coached for 40 years down in Southern California, they call it challenger leagues down there. Everybody has it. You know, it doesn't have to be Special Olympics. Every place has one. It's just a matter of getting connected with it. Absolutely the best. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. That wraps up part one of our interview with Coach Sarancic. Make sure to be here next week. Check in next Tuesday when the next episode of the 8020 Baseball Podcast, the 8020 Baseball Masterclass goes live. I also have a recommendation, something for your inbox. And I say that knowing that nobody needs more stuff in their inbox, but I got something for you. I also have an analogy that I want to share with all of you that I want to discuss so we can fine tune and improve our paradigm, our purpose as youth baseball coaches, our viewpoint of what success looks like. And lastly, along with part two of our interview with Coach Sarancic, I have a tip, a specific tip for all of you coaches, a communication tip for all of us coaches to help us maximize our message, our communication with our players to maximize success with the things we are saying to them. So until next week, take care of yourself especially that health. Take care of your health, everybody. So you can take care of that family like I know you're already doing, your close friends and the baseball community, your team, your kid, those players that you go out and serve. Take this information, take it out to the field, implement it. And I look forward to being back here next Tuesday with all of you. And until then, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.